Welcome to Season 4 of The Farcast, bringing you experts and insiders every week to help you navigate the economic and investing landscape. Now, here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to The Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. It is always such a great privilege to have our listeners return, to get your notes and messages is wonderful, but that you tune in every week. And please tell folks about us. We really do appreciate it. It is April the 22nd, April the 22nd, ladies and gentlemen. And the stock market, since we spoke last week, has been doing really pretty well. Uh, we've seen the results from the Chauvin trial and, and all of the uh, aftermath and political speeches. We've seen corporate CEOs come forward to basically endorse a jury trial verdict, which, which um, has been interesting. We haven't seen that before in the country. And things were going swimmingly pretty much in stocks and everything as they have been for several weeks now, until today, until today, somewhere around noon, President Biden apparently had some spare time on his hands and decided he'd go ahead and make a statement about taking capital gains taxes up to 43%. He's going to double them to 39 plus a couple points here and there, but double capital gains taxes. Stocks did not like that, and they went down at one point, uh, something over 400 points. Looks like uh, uh, we're coming into the close here down about 300 points. We're not yet closed on the day. NASDAQ, Dow, and S&P all trading down nine-tenths of a percent. It's really weird to see them all absolutely in line. Why is it weird? Because it doesn't. It means that the tech stocks aren't doing worse or better than the industrial stocks. It means they're all dropping together, which means none of them like it. None of them like it. And the fixed income market, so then we're going to take a look at a couple of other things. The dollar had been getting weaker. It seems to be hanging in there today, a little bit of strength, but not much. But the 10-year treasury, 1.55%. Remember, we were up at 175, almost 180. Treasuries are rallying. There's a flight to safety here. What does all that mean? And is it going to be important to your money? Well, it probably will be important to your money, but we're going to go ask some of our greatest experts on today's show. Kenny Polcari, of course, from Case Capital Advisors, is going to be with us in our first segment. He is standing by. Next, we have Dan Mahaffey to talk about what's going on in Washington. And boy, did that change today. And then uh, finally, Surat Sethi um, from Douglas Lane Advisors, which I think they're starting to call DLA now, a great friend of mine, another CNBC contributor. I've known Surat for 15 or 20 years um, and a great friend, very bright guy coming up in our third segment. So without further ado, my great friend, Kenny Polkari, my great and much older friend, Kenny Polkari. Welcome back there, KP. Michael, it's always a pleasure. And I should only say it's two more days and then we're gonna be singing happy birthday to you. Yeah, this is my last forecast at 59 years <laughs> old. A, I'm right. going to turn 60 years old. I can't believe I'm going to be as old as you are. Uh, it's unbelievable, but you look damn good. Let me just tell you something. It's you killing look me. pretty damn good. Oh, God, bless your heart. Well, Kenny, we're not a bad club. You know what I mean? Uh, no, we're not. Uh, you know, to be, we're holding up. We're holding up for all Listen, guys. 60 really is the new 40. That's what I was told. So that's what I'm running with said no 40 year old ever right but you know it's one of the great things about being down here in south florida um 
everybody at the at the restaurants and bars are still 10, 20 years older, and we're kind of still hot right. young things down here. Right, right. I don't we're know bring- how much further south we got to go, Kevin. <laughs> we're bringing the average age down still when we walk into the restaurants. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much longer that's going to happen. I walked into a place the other day, and I said, oh, my God, look at the." I mean, everybody in the place was at least 20 years older than uh, I was. Uh, and I, I looked at my buddy, I said, how, what do you think the average age is in this place? He said, deceased. Just keep moving. <laughs> you could get caught. Average age here is deceased. Keep moving. Kenny, uh, we've got the stock market. You know, people are upset. It's down three or 400 points. S&P 500 still 4142. The Dow's still 33,870. This doesn't look like a crisis, but what do you make of this capital gain stuff? It's not, well, listen, you know, it, it's so funny because um, I, I don't really think that it's anything new, right? Like he's been talking about, it. he ran on the promise. If you elect me, I'm raising your taxes. He said it, he said it over and over and over. Um, and so, you know, the, the 39.6%, which is where he wants to take the base capital gains rate is something that had been mentioned. It's that extra 3.8% that, you know, all of a sudden puts you over 43.2. Right. And that was the headline, 43.2, right? Now, one way or the other, uh, uh, the market clearly didn't like it. Investors, not so much that stocks didn't like it, it's investors didn't like it, right? They're, they're, they're all hitting the sell button. They put the brakes on the buy side and the sell side went went nuts with it And the, as the buyers backed up. So one way or the other, I think it's a little bit of, a, of an initial overreaction, kind of like shoot first, ask questions later. Do I think it's really really going to go there? No. What I think happens is they float out this really big number, right? Because that's how they do it. They do right. the same thing with the Fed, right? You know, when they when they send out the regional Fed president to float an idea so Jay Powell doesn't have to say it himself just to see what the market reaction is. Right. Well, they did the same thing today, right? They floated it out with, with, with an anonymous source to Bloomberg to see what was going to happen. The market backs off. Now, Joey can sit there behind the curtain and watch what's happening. They throw out this big number. Clearly, they, they start here. The other side starts down here, and then ultimately they're going to come somewhere in the middle. I think the number is going to be 32%. I think it's going to be 29.6 plus the or 29.2 plus the 3.8 is going to take you to 32%. But one way or the other, I think it's a little bit of an overreaction. The Dow is still up almost 11% in the year. The S&P is up 11% in the year. The NASDAQ is still up almost 7.5% in the year. Greg Valliere, yep. Dan Mahaffey, yep. Tony Fratto, Les Munson, all Washington insiders continue to tell me he don't got the votes to get well, this done. Well, he doesn't have the votes to get the tax increase. Even with reconciliation, he can't get Manchin to cross the aisle and raise these taxes. Well, he doesn't have the votes to raise them where he wants to raise them. Uh, they say the- they don't have the votes to raise them at all, Kenny. Really? Yeah, they don't think they're going to get capital gains up at all. Now, Mahaffey's on in our next segment. And boy, I'm going to drill down with him. Because, you know, this is when kind of wish, there was a great book by, uh, what was the guy's name? Hayakawa, I read it years ago, called When Wish Replaces Thought. And it was a critique on uh, modern uh, education, really, at the college and university level that suggesting that professors would start with an agenda and then teach according to it and shape thoughts as opposed to, you know, a more... Uh, aristocrat, uh, 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 Aristotelian method where, yeah. where they, you would catechize and ask more questions to derive whatever the hell the right answer would be. So right. anyway, when wish replaces thought, my wish is that they don't change the damn taxes. So I've well, got to be careful not to script Mahaffey. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. It's interesting. I just assumed that uh, Manchin, Manchin is, is, is he's okay to a level and then he backs off. 
So that's why I, I don't, and maybe now you, I, you're telling me something I didn't realize it, it is, is if Manchin is completely against it, yeah, then, then they're not going to be able to do it, right? Well, we're going to listen to Mahaffey. You know, with these politicians, things change. And just right. because they said it yesterday doesn't mean they're going to say it tomorrow, right? Exactly. exactly. But what it does, Kenny, of course, is it creates uncertainty on Wall Street. And if there's anything Wall Street hates, it's uncertainty. uncertainty. Yeah, there baby. There you go. No, so, and that's that's kind of what you're seeing now, right? It's that uncertainty that once again is creating the angst amongst investors and traders. And their first reaction is, you know, sell, hit the button first and then ask questions later, which I guess is okay. Um, but it tends to be, it tends to be chaotic when they do that, right? But look, it comes out of left field. They floated it out there. It was an unnamed source. Bloomberg publishes it and boom. So, and, and what about the algos and what about the high frequency trading? When they start to see those orders come in, when somebody starts to push a button, yeah. it snowballs, right? It snowballs. It, it feeds on each other. Well, well, partly when you get a headline like that, you get the smart logic algos that, you know, scrape and read every headline and they look for positive words and negative words and what could potentially be a negative word or potentially be a positive word. And then they react accordingly and they react very quickly. So a headline like that comes across perceived as negative. It pulls automatically the buy side back. Boom. So the buy side orders get automatically uh, either canceled or or they pull them way down, leaving a void in prices. And on the sell side, you know, they're scrambling looking for any bid, which is why you saw the market react as violently as quickly as it did, right? Kenny spent 30 years on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, ladies and gentlemen, if there is an expert's expert in this country. And when it comes to trading and how these things work on the floor of the Stock Exchange and everywhere else across all the other platforms, it is Kenny Polcari. So this is not just another schmo with an opinion who's just, no. you know, spitballing out there. <laughs> oh, let's Listen. clarify that. It was 38 years, if you want to be honest. Well, I keep forgetting how much older you are than I. Well, listen, if you're going to give me credibility, another eight years actually gives you a fair amount of credibility. No, it doesn't. 30 years, they just figure you're old. You were there for a long freaking time, and that's good enough. Nobody thinks you're not much smarter for 30 to 8 versus 30. Come on. I mean, don't make me get your wife on the phone. Uh, I may have to go over your head here. So, Kenny, when you see this volatility now, does this mean anything to you? Because it looked to me like we were in an established, reasonably strong uptrend. Right. We've, we've seen some pullbacks, but I don't think we've seen anything that looks like a correction to the beginning of a correction. How does this add? What well, are you seeing? Well, so it's going to it's gonna take place over the next couple of days to see what the analysis is. Look, they already started, right? They already started pulling out all the supporters, trying to tell everybody, don't overreact. This is not new. Everyone knew this, blah, blah, blah. So they're trying to mute the response. So what's going to happen over the next couple of days, there'll be analysis, there'll be articles written about it, there'll be people on TV that are talking, it's talking about it. And depending on the tone of that conversation, will really drive it. Look, I still think we are in a little bit of an uptrend. I don't think this is going to be the end of it. Do I I think this is the beginning of the correction. I don't think so yet, but do I think that it may cause the market to kind of churn in here a little bit and struggle to get through 4,200? I do. But look, Michael, we'd have to drop 421 points on the S&P to take us to 37.70, which would be a 10% correction from the top, which is then is, is what you would be worried about. Anything between here and there is considered normal in terms of normal trading. So we could get down 9% and still be considered within the normal band of uh, adjusting, right? Is there, anything, is there anything that you're seeing in the way that markets are trading 
and against this backdrop of a reopening and vaccines and an accommodative Fed and all of this other stuff that would make you change your investment posture? And we got to go here. Uh, at the moment, no, I'm not reacting to this headline. I'm sitting back. I've got money to put to work, but I'm going to give this headline now a day or two to kind of weave its way through the market to see how it settles in. But no, I'm not changing my philosophy at the moment at all. Everybody who talks to me and they're like, don't you think we're going to have a pullback? Don't you think we're going to have a pullback? I go, of course, we're going to have a pullback. Won't that be great? I got cash. I'm dying for a pullback. There you go. Bingo. I'd love to see the market correct seven or 8%. I would love to see that happen. But right. Every time we say that, every time we say that, you know, we're off like the other day between Monday and Tuesday, the S&P sold off 1.4% and Bloomberg came out with an article that said the route, the route in the yeah. market, 1.4%. Are you kidding me? <laughs> these people have lost their minds did a you, route is seven or eight percent in one day that's a route that is a route did you see did you see the headline uh on uh, uh on on uh, i think it was cnbc uh they were it was from um uh, morgan stanley changed their uh, uh target price uh on apple stock they issued a report Change their target price on Apple stock from $158 a sh- to a- to $158 a share from $157. They should be ashamed of themselves. That's like complete stupidity. That is stupidity. They issued a report changing their target price from $157 to $158. I, I want to know who actually approved a report like that. I mean, honestly, they should all be thrown out. That's like asinine. Do, you know, it's 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 a small fraction of one percent. I mean, it's one dollar out of a hundred and fifty-seven. It doesn't it even. Make, a, it's not worth the paper it's printed on, right? You 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 can you can earn more in T bills, right. right? I mean, it's just uh, anyway. Right. I see stuff. You know, you be- I've seen this stuff over the years, Kenny, and you just scratch your head and go, "Wow." Was did he have a quota on how many reports he has to get out by quarter uh, 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 end? I mean, that's uh, the only explanation. Okay, either that or it's a it's a young up and comer who's just trying to get a bunch of reports out there to say, look, I've written all these pieces. Look at me, right? Because I, I honestly, who at Morgan Stanley would even would even would even okay that report? That's it's, a whole other conversation. It's just it is it is mind numbing. You know, it's not it only is. the guy that wrote it; it's the people who approved it and that yeah. got through compliance. I mean, and then they actually published it, and they, and they got all their sales traders calling around to the institution. Oh, we raised our price target on Apple a dollar and a half. Isn't that great? Give no, me no, 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 not a dollar and a half, just a dollar. A dollar, just a dollar. Okay, a dollar. One fifty-seven to one fifty-eight. Could you imagine being the sales trader on the institutional desk the day that that report comes out, and you're expected to call the portfolio manager at Fidelity or Capital or Wellington and go, "Oh, we upgraded Micro Apple by a dollar." The guy should hang up the phone. Or you say, listen, kid, go away. Bang. Are you kidding me? Uh, who would make that call? I mean, there isn't well, a sales trader worth his salt that would ever pick up the phone and make that call. But look, there's you not know, a sales trader like me and you because we would laugh at that report. But you get another young 25 year old who's trying to make a name for himself. I got a call. I got a call. I got a call. It's stupidity. It, 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 it is, it is, it is, it is, it is stupidity. You get but, me all riled up, Mike. Well, okay, Every but, time I do this with you, you just light a fire under my backside. We, we, you know, but Ke- Kenny, you remember when we were making those early calls and we do something, I don't think, I can't remember doing anything that stupid. Okay. I, I can't, but I did some stupid things and right. you would get a PM on the phone. <laughs> 
who would tear you a new one. He, the the F-bomb wasn't an F-bomb. It was like a comma. And that was just while he was getting warmed yeah. up, right? Could you I mean, those guys would call imagine? you more names. They would, they would tell you- And the you phone you wouldn't ring. They, 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 you'd be punished. The phone wouldn't ring. No, no, no. They wouldn't call. They wouldn't answer. That, nothing. Because no, they think you're an idiot. But that would be after they told you with about <laughs> right. 16 I, different I, words that you weren't allowed to say as a child. And, 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 and actually, you know, invoke nasty things about your mother. <laughs> really? They did. They did. Listen, On the way I to... lived it. I get it. We lived I know it. You did. God forbid you couldn't do that today because if you did that today and somebody's feelings got hurt, all of a sudden <laughs> you're going to be in the front page of the Wall Street Journal. It's ridiculous. Look, I talked to a Marine Corps captain uh, about three weeks ago. He tells me that he is no longer allowed to swear at his troops. Right. Do you know that? He can't cuss. He right. can't yell. He can't make disparaging remarks. I was like, we're training him to go right. to, I mean, you, what? Right. You're going to send him to Eastern <laughs> Europe with very good manners for tea parties. <laughs> what the hell are they supposed to do when they get there and the shooting starts and somebody throws the F-bomb at them? They're going to they're gonna blush. <laughs> you know, what, how, what are Marines oh, are supposed to do? Look, we are so excuse all the time. Excuse I mean, me, what did you say? What, yes, yeah, excuse me. That's not nice. That is not nice. Now you take that back. <laughs> <laughs> before you shoot me take that back because that's what's gonna happen you right? take that to naughty that's that was naughty <laughs> kenny we, uh final advice for fred and ethel, <laughs> for fred, and ethel. Fred, fred and ethel should sit tight at the moment and don't panic you and i always say this the last thing fred and ethel needs to do is panic do not panic you got guys like michael you got guys like me that are helping you through this that's what we do right we help people manage situations like this and so if you're if you're set up right if you're if it's proper you're all set you're all good don't worry about it listen to kenny profit from Palkari. And I don't know how Harry's going to edit all of that mess, KP. I have no idea. Thank you for being with me, Kenny Polcari from Case Capital Advisors. Uh, we're going to be back with Dan Mahaffey talking about Washington. It will be very informative. It will be fascinating, and it will no be nowhere near as much fun. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Michael Farr and the Farcast are proud to support Heroes, Inc., Heroes supports the spouses and children of law enforcement officers and firefighters who gave their lives in the line of duty to the greater Washington, D.C. community. Their singular goal is to honor the supreme sacrifice made by these individuals by caring for their families. Heroes' work begins within 24 hours of the tragic loss and continues indefinitely. We invite you to learn more about Heroes' mission at heroes.org. We hope that you will consider supporting heroes as they endeavor to honor those who protect us. That's heroes.org. Heroes, here for you, here for good. And now, back to the Farcast and your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast, and now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. I'm Michael Farr. We're join joining me now is Dan Mahaffey, the great Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress and the senior political analyst on the Farcast. Dan, welcome back. Thanks, Michael. You are you know, so kind to add the great before my name. But, you know, usually in history, that means you're dead or the mob is coming for you. What's your point, Dan? 
Okay. No, just, 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 we're yeah, good. I, uh, fine. Uh, okay. Just checking. I mean, I understand. I, I mean, I speak English, you know, I'm, 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 I'm with you. Dan, you know, I woke up this morning and I was reading uh, very closely uh, what was going on with Vladimir Putin, what's going on right. in Russia, um, you, you know, uh, what's, what, what, what's going on in Ukraine, uh, mounting of troops, firing of missiles, very concerned with the relationship with the U.S., how they're building their relationship, that is Russia's, with Iran. And I was thinking this could be the most important thing that markets are going to deal with in a while until the president comes out today and says he's going to double right. capital gains tax at a time when they're trying to still, you've got a Federal Reserve and a Janet Yellen saying we're trying to get this economy going. And now we've got uh, the president saying, uh, we're going to increase capital gains taxes. Can you explain this to me? Because, boy, I feel stupid. <laughs> well, I think this is the president, one, keeping some of his campaign promises. There were, in his tax plan, uh, proposals that he was going to raise capital gains. He he'd talked about it. Uh, it's been long talked about amongst Democrats. And I think it's what we've seen, though, him do throughout the campaign, throughout his initial term in office, where he will go with what they've promised, uh, put forward something that gets uh, gets a big response. Uh, markets moved. I think progressives are happy to see this. Uh, they've been able to talk about their other things like mark to market, or uh, you know, perhaps uh, you know, there it, it also effectively overshadows the Republicans' own infrastructure proposals that they did this day. So the the narrative side of it is interesting to consider, um, but. Ultimately, this will rely on votes in the Senate to become law. And the question becomes, again, we talk about Joe Manchin, obviously, on this. Uh, he's very powerful. We talk about him as the most powerful senator in Washington. Does he align on this? The West Virginia voters, this might be something where he can establish some populist bona fides with uh, these voters. The, the polling shows, even among Republicans, there is some support for higher capital gains taxes. I'm still I don't confused, know if it's this Dan. rate. I, I, okay, look, I'm still confused. Just strategically, I'm, I mean, I'm reading an article, re reading all sorts of articles over the past week or so that, you know, the president's agenda is getting, uh, and, and his, his efforts to get something passed in terms of infrastructure are being sidelined, not only by what's happening with Russia, but by the uh, immigrant and, and uh, uh, migration uh, uh, crisis on the Mexico border. I mean, there are all these other issues that have mm -hmm. that have cropped up uh, that are kind of, why would he now uh, further dilute, I guess, his message? And, and why would he shift gunpowder here when he's trying to get something else done? I mean, it, it, I mean, this is like, you know, when you watch, you watched, uh, you, you watched Clinton come in and say, uh, here's my agenda. And oh, by the way, we're going to do health care. Mm -hmm. and waste all of his political capital on health care. I mean, in the beginning of his first term, and Hillary was the health care czar. I'm going back in ancient history for many of you. It didn't work out well right. for President Clinton and his agenda. What is Biden doing? No, I, I don't disagree with your assessment there and those comparisons. They're, they're good ones. And I, I won't defend the White House's logic on this, but I would say, at least it appears to me, that this is one, how they plan to pay for a large amount, or at least explain how they're paying for a large amount of their 
agenda, be it infrastructure, uh, and expand, expansions of healthcare, family care programs, uh, all these things where they want to expand the size of government. This is part of their way to answer it. But ultimately, no. but ultimately, though, when we look at Brookings, uh, the tax center says yes. that this is only going to raise $370 billion. So Thirty-seven billion a year for ten years. Something yeah, like that. for ten years. So, if you're doing three hundred and seventy for the whole ten years, that's what the notes I have. Three seventy. So, so it's so let's just 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 think about this for a second, folks. Let's just just let's do the math together. We're gonna do a three trillion dollar deficit this year. Three is my right, Dan. Right. Three trillion. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, what's three trillion amongst friends? $3 trillion deficit this year in a $22 trillion GDP. And you're going to go out there and say, wait, I can pay for all this. Plus, I want to add on top of that $3 trillion deficit. I want to add an infrastructure spending bill for another $2 trillion. I could take this son of a gun uh, a good deal higher. And by the way, let me tell you how I'm going to pay for it. I have figured out where I can get $37 billion. $370. 37 a year, yeah. Dan, 37 a year, 370 total. total. Yeah, but so this is around, you know, this, you, you look at it. This is stupid. Okay. So why are markets, if it's just that little, then why are markets responding? It, 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 nothing about this warrants its response. If it's, if it's actually raising that little and having that little of an impact. No, no, no. It's not a big number. Of course, when you look at the just but the psychology of, of it, money, of no, the oceans of money that occur at a government level, when you reduce this to the individual right. level, it's like, what does it mean, you know, for the employer to pay you uh, another dollar an hour? I mean, uh, it can't mean that much to the employer. It does mean that much to the employee. Yes. Um, this means a lot to the individual and the individual says, I don't know what the hell these people are doing. And uncertainty, as I mentioned before, since markets lower. Exactly. So that's the, the, the psychology of it is overwhelming. And again, this is why it's so political. It, it is a matter of politics and this populism in Washington and this message of soaking the rich in some way, going after corporate power, investor power, moneyed power. It, it has been a, a, a message that resonated on, on for Democrats. And it's increasingly resonating among some Republicans. Okay, so, okay, look, Dan, let's go over, uh, you're, you're the political expert here. Tell me about, in the, in the list of presidents and, and their rankings and who has been fabulous and who hasn't, how, what, g- give me your assessment of President Jimmy Carter's reputation as a president. Well, he usually doesn't have the best one. He has a better, I'll be diplomatic, he has a better reputation as a former president. He was, he's, look, one of, I think one of the best people who has ever been president of the United States. But President Carter did something that was magnificent and very good for the economy. Now, this is something you may never hear from a reasonably conservative financial guy. In 1978, the capital gains rate was 39 and 7 eighths percent. 39.875% was capital gains rate in 1978. President Carter lowered it. Democrat President Carter lowered the capital gains rate to 28%. And, and now I can hear you out there, listeners, saying, 
Well, of course, Farr liked that. That saved him money on taxes. You, you, you people, you investment people, you always like it when we save you money on taxes. Well, that's true. I do like it when you lower my taxes. I'm, I'm going to cop to that. But let me tell you what happened. Tax receipts that year went from $9 billion to $11.7 billion. It was a 30% increase in tax receipts. In tax receipts to the government went up when they made the taxes more affordable which also leads us to a discussion of the Laffer curve and everything else. So Dan, you're basically, I'm, I'm, I'm ranting. Let me come back and ask you. So is there, is there a chance a capital gains tax hike gets passed and what is that chance and where does it go? So if it does get passed, I, I, there's no way you get this through the normal process. So you have to do it on a reconciliation vote. You have to get 50 senators there. We've talked about Manchin. I, I would even keep my eye, though, on senators, uh, you know, Kelly and Cinema in Arizona, where you have states, uh, Democrats right. with investor income. Right. What are the uh, chances, Dan? I think it's very low, that you, at least at this high number. I think you move back to a, a perhaps a compromise number around uh, 32 to 35. But well, Kari you, said 28. You know, I... I would guess something in the low 30s just to get it back into the 30s as a as a number to take back to voters. How long does this sort of thing take and when could it go into effect? Well, it could go into this will be done through this year, because if they do it, it goes through this year's budget process. Goes to but, the, but the Supreme Court, again, has said that uh, a, a tax capital gains can apply to the year it's passed. So tell me what else you're looking at in Washington. And I tell me what you're seeing happening with Russia, because that's where I started this morning and watching right. what was happening with the Ukraine and hearing what the, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, President Putin is trying to do in building relationships with uh, Iran. And he's still having some difficulty right. with China. Tell us what's going well, on. Well, I think, look, the, the with Russia, they've at least, I think, tried to pull back from the brink. But let's not mistake the fact that the armored equipment is still there. Uh, what troops they've withdrawn, you know, these exercises were still a prelude to the past invasion of Crimea, even after they said they'd reduced troops. So you never know if it's a head fake. Uh, keep an eye on that. I think Belarus is an area too, where they might look to annex that given the, the instability there. Uh, that could upend a lot of the political circumstances in Europe. So Putin remains unpredictable. Uh, so keep an eye on tensions there. And then with, with China, uh, a careful balancing act. You obviously have uh, Xi Jinping participating in the climate conference today. So U.S. leadership on a multilateral issue there where you have to get along with China. Uh, but Congress moving ahead. I'm keeping an eye on these bills in, in Congress, the China bill, uh, whether some of this investment in, in R&D, semiconductors, important stuff goes ahead. All right. Dan, will you come back with us next week? We're watching all of this. Any one of these headlines can move markets. And we didn't even talk about the rioters and protesters uh, in Moscow today. Um, so lots of issues for again next week. You'll be back, Dan? Yep. Happy to. You're the best. That's it uh, for, for uh, our second segment, ladies and gentlemen. We're so appreciative of Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress and our senior political analyst on the forecast. When we come back, a great treat is ahead. My friend Surat Sethi uh, is uh, the basically managing partner president at Douglas Lane Associates. I don't know if I'm going to ask him one of the big questions is have they gone to DLA yet? I think maybe they have. Uh, so uh, that's going to be earth shattering when we get Surat here. One of the smartest, nicest guys I ever talked to on Wall Street. We've known each other for almost 20 years. Truly, 
one of the smartest guys on Wall Street, when we come back on The Farcast. Thank you for joining us on The Farcast. And now, back to your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. We're so glad you're with us again this week, April the 22nd. Joining us now, one of my great and oldest friends in the business, Surat Sethi, who's still much younger than I am, is the managing partner at Douglas C. Lane Associates in New York. He's an equity analyst. Okay, and by the way, Sethi is one of the smartest guys I, I, I actually know. Uh, he was a Martindale scholar, magna cum laude from Lehigh University on the board of it. He's a CPA. He got his MBA. He's a CFA. I think there are actually more designation letters after his last name than there are in his last name. I think that's a terrific sign of insecurity. Uh, welcome, Surat, uh, to the podcast. <laughs> How do, how do you explain that insecurity, well, Sarah? Friends like you, you know, who need <laughs> uh, uh, I'm just, so glad. It took me a long time to figure out what I wanted to do. And I went from the accounting route to a business school and then eventually found my calling about 20 years ago. Sarah, before we start, and because uh, uh, we, we haven't heard from you much in past years, tell us a little bit about Douglas C. Lane, will you, on the high level, sure. so our folks understand what you do every day? So we are a registered investment advisor. We manage about seven and a half billion uh, across 42 states, 15 countries, primarily high net worth individuals, some institutions, uh, but our focus is investment management and wealth management with it. I have a team of nine analysts and we look at stocks and some bonds, but primarily equities um, across the world, invest anything that's listed in the US. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I will tell you that uh, we have lots of guests on this program, but if I didn't do what I do and I needed a money manager, Surat Sethi would be one of those folks I would call. Absolutely yeah, would. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that to be kind, Surat. I would. I'd be very comfortable with you managing money for me. Um, I, know, I know your discipline, um, and I know how thoughtful you are about stocks. So uh, tell us then, uh, we saw a little bit of a volatile market today around this capital gains tax noise. What do you make of that capital gains tax noise? Is it more than noise? And what does it mean for your portfolios and clients? So, you know, I, I think it wasn't unexpected, but I was a little surprised that the market took it the way it did because, uh, I mean, the, this administration had been talking about it for a while. I mean, raising cap gains to ordinary income, looking at raising taxes for anyone making over $400,000. So nothing in what we saw today was surprising. I think the question is gonna be, are they gonna get it through? Uh, chances are it won't come through in the same way, uh, but I look at this as a long-term investor, core discipline of you know 60 stocks in a portfolio that if this carries through and you might get some short-term gyrations, uh, probably give us some opportunity in the market, which to me right now is pretty, you know, it feels pretty fairly valued. So uh, I, I definitely feel there are parts of the market that, that have opportunity still, but this could be kind of a, a potential catalyst to give us that short-term five, 10% correction. Surat, I've been saying a fully valued as opposed to fairly valued, which is which to my, in, in my speak means a little more than fairly valued. Do you think we're really just fairly valued? There's as much upside as downside? I do in the sense that, uh, Michael, if you look at the market, you know, it trades at 22 times earnings, but if you break it down into the different sectors, uh, I think, you know, 
technology and industrials need to grow into their PEs. But if you look at healthcare, financials, their multiples are not reflective of their true earnings growth. And I think when you look at financials, 10% of the market, we've got a, probably about 18% exposure there. Healthcare is about 15% of the market. There's definitely opportunity there, um, especially since in the last year, all the money flew to the growthy areas. So our portfolios are barbell. It's not to say we don't have the growth and we don't have industrials, but it's really looking at growth at a reasonable price, not growth at any price, and then looking at financials and, um, and, and healthcare, and then select other stocks as well, where I think you can create a portfolio that today to me will still grow, but you know, you've had a good part of the growth already reflected in stock prices. A couple of weeks ago, Surat, B of A came out with a report suggesting the S&P would close lower on the year than it is right now. Does that make any sense to you, given the reopening, uh, the consumer with uh, large amounts of savings and cash that seems to have some pent-up demand and economic you know, reopening and, and still a fairly dovish Fed and, by the way, dovish Secretary of Treasury? Or, or, or do you, do you, does it make sense you think prices go lower by your end? I mean, again, if you look at the S&P and 20% of the S&P is in five stocks, right? And if you yes. have in there, it's 22%. So on a market-weighted basis, yeah, you could have that, especially if you're overweight, some of the growthy techs that we talked about. Uh, but I do think you, you can necessarily make money. You can make money in this market, even if the S&P stays flat to where it is, uh, just because you do have secular tailwinds in a lot of industries, sectors, and companies, and you don't necessarily have to own market weights of Apple and market weights of uh, Microsoft just, just to kind of keep up with the market. So are, are you, uh, I'm trying to kind of dig down a little deeper. Are you constructive and positive on the remainder of the year? Do you, you, I hear you think there's money to be made. Is it a lot of money two years from now? Where, I mean, where do you see levels going? I mean, uh, people are, are on suddenly come out and with a great deal more caution than they had, yeah. uh, even though the economic news seems to be pretty good. I think so. And the question there, Michael, is do are we fully reflective of the earnings growth of the next two quarters? Markets already kind of discounted next, you know, comps this year will be pretty good compared to last. But again, I'll break it down. And, and if you look at, you know, just, just look at some of the companies that if you look in healthcare, like a J and J or a CVS or a Bristol Myers, I mean Bristol trades at 10 times earnings, CVS is 10 times earnings. J and J is a market, you know, 17 times earnings, still at a distance. Uh, a discount. Then you go to the financials and even you take a Bank of America or Morgan Stanley trading at below market multiples. Uh, that's kind of where the opportunity is. So if you're buying the index, you might be disappointed. Maybe you get low single digit growth for the next two to three years. But if you do top down, bottoms up, I think you could get high single digits, add some uh, dividends to it. And you kind of wake up three years from now and you could be up on an aggregate, you know, maybe 25 to 30%, but it's, it's not going to be that straight line we've kind of gotten from last March. You right? mentioned one of my pet peeve stocks. So I'm going to come back to stocks with you because you're one of my few friends who's not scared to talk about stocks. I'll talk any stock. Uh, let's, let's, so CVS has, yeah. has been just driving me crazy for the yes. past couple of years. Uh-huh. I think it's one of the cheapest stocks I look at. Yep. I love this company at this price with this dividend, this growth rate, the diversification of revenue streams. And by the way, I, we got, I got both of my 
uh, uh, vaccinations at the CVS here, there are long lines of people standing there in the aisles. Now they're not making, might not be making money off the vaccine, but let me tell you something. Everybody left at the, the, the damn store with, with a handful of crap they probably didn't need, but they've yeah. got their cookies and they've got, you know, baby oil. And I mean, why can't this CVS stock price start to move? So I'll give you two reasons of the headwinds. And look, I'm a I'm an owner of the stock, so I'm talking my game. I'm an owner of the stock, okay. long term. So, so two 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 big headwinds that you had before. One is when they did the the merger, took on a lot of debt, right? So you had a company that had a lot of debt going into COVID, where as you know, companies that are rewarded were low debt, great growth, right? The yes. stay-at-home stocks. So CVS for 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 the and then the other headwind was. Nobody was going to the front of the store, right? I mean, right. during COVID, you were not buying flu, flu medicines, cold medicines. You weren't going to get your toothpaste because you were sitting there ordering it from Amazon or you were getting other things. Yeah. So the two headwinds off now, we got a lot of debt. We didn't have the great growth. We have, you know, low growth in the front of the store. Now, I think the catalyst that you just mentioned is, wait, we can get our shots there. Yep. And now earnings are going to grow and the insurance part's going to really help. And I think this is one of those stocks that's kind of like the LBO model as they pay down their debt and you start seeing earnings grow, the equity value will start increasing. And, you know, you and I will be talking about this and all of a sudden the talking heads will say, wow, look at this stock. And hopefully by then it's 15 times earnings. And then we'll be kind of thinking, is it, you know, fairly valued at that point, but it's cheap. It's got a good dividend. And you're buying it because it's got a little bit of hair on it. You know, people don't like that. Labenthal, you know, would tell us to pay attention to that peg ratio, though. And with, you know, they, we get 10% earnings growth at a company that's 10 times earnings. You buy that company, particularly in this kind of market, I think, don't you? And you buy, buy the dividend. With and it. when it gets to 15 or 16 times earnings, maybe Weiss will get interested in buying it. We'll, we'll <laughs> yeah, I mean, they'll trade it for a day. He'll trade it and he'll come back into it and he'll, yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I love Steve Weiss. And you know, right. we've had him on the show a whole bunch. We, we love Steve Weiss, uh, but he's much more transactional than we are. So Surat, as we're, as we're talking about uh, investing and we, you have right. a very clear discipline, tell us what you're gonna tell Fred and Ethel who are looking at the headlines, trying to figure out what this new surge of inflation that's gonna be, they're being told it's gonna be okay, but, and we don't have to worry about it because Jay Powell's not worried about it. And they've got portfolios. And some of us are, um, Surat, almost, almost 60 years old. Uh, and, we, and we actually think about these things when we're almost this year. I'm not 60 for two more days. Every, every day is your birthday. Every day is your birthday, Michael. Every day feels like my birthday, I promise. Okay, can we tell so, him, Surat? Let's so, tell him. Let's just so stop it, and tell the story about why every day is my birthday. Go ahead, tell him. So, so Michael and I, as Michael mentioned, we've known each other for 20 years. I think we were on the Fidelity Advisory Board for, I mean, I think we're alumni now or whatever. Six or more years, uh, yeah. And every time we had a meeting, which was three times a year, we would tell the people throwing the meeting that it was Michael's birthday. Yes. And so in front of 50, 100, 200 people, didn't matter. We sang happy birthday. So to the point where the staff knew that it was a joke and Michael was just waiting every time for the cake to come out. When I was 49 years old, I'm, uh, we were somewhere in Florida and these guys had the boss, told the Boston Pops who were brought in to be the big deal 
that it was Forrest's birthday. They had the Boston freaking pops play happy birthday and they announced uh, this next song is for Michael Farr. I'm standing there with a drink in my hand going, what, 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 what did he say? <laughs> oh God. Oh, it was funny. Uh, well, okay, so that's going to be one of those truth or dare questions. I had the Boston Pops play Happy Birthday to me. Who's going to believe it? Probably not many. Okay, Surat, let's get back well, to Fred and Ethel. Fred and Ethel, what, what we would do is say, you know, first create a diversified portfolio. Because anybody who's going to tell you that we have inflation, disinflation, really doesn't know at this point. We, we really no. don't. This is a new paradigm right now. You know, we have global disinflation when it comes to cost of goods sold. You can go from China to Indonesia to India, depending on your factories where you want to go. We have local inflation in the US when it comes to wages and it comes to healthcare. And now you're seeing a little more of inflation in energy input prices. How does that all pan out? And, and you know, if inflation stays where it is and the Fed is right and it's just transitory, well, the 22 multiple could be right. But if inflation does come up, then that multiple compresses and then other areas of the market will do well. So I, I'm not smart enough to know which ones are gonna do right, but what I'm gonna do is top down, pick the sectors I think that will benefit and bottoms up, pick the companies that will. So yeah. if we do get inflation and, and you do get pricing power, I think a couple of areas that you wanna be uh, in there, one is we haven't talked about this is consumer staples. Yes, you know, right. these are areas that you can pass on the price increases. You saw Nestle had 7% organic growth today. They're passing on price increases. You know, Diageo, uh, these are type of companies, Constellation Brands. I want to be in the- You throw in Procter & Gamble? Uh, I would throw in Procter & Gamble in there too. We don't own it, but, but I, I definitely would because those are necessities. They've got the brand and they're able to pass the price increases on, whether it's right. in packaging or et cetera. You know, the same way you want to be in financials if you get a little pricing power, because at that point you'll see interest rates move up and then they'll be able to borrow and lend and make more money on the net interest margin. That will also be beneficial for them. So, you know, and then healthcare, which has inflation. So anything with pricing power will be able to do it. Where you're going to get hurt, and you see that once in a while, is not just regular tech, but you're looking at companies whose future cash flows are out 10 or 15 years. Yes. Right. And, and that's kind of where in finance terms, the discount rate, and it's really affecting the future cash flow. So in today's terms, that's your Zooms and your snowflakes and, you know, some of the other companies out there. So you have to be careful when you're valuing companies on price to sales, as I mentioned earlier in, in, the, in the forecast, or are you looking at growth at a reasonable value? And that's when you can look at some companies and say, oh, wow, look at, you know, um, you know, whether you want to pick in a semiconductor world like a Qualcomm or, or you want to have real cash flows that are coming to you in the next 10 quarters as opposed to future out. And I know we're out of time, Surat, but I've got, I've got one final question because, I, you know, you, you really are one of the smartest guys I get to talk to. If we, if one of the arguments we're hearing is that this inflation is basically going to be episodic, it's going to be temporary, and that we're going to return to that 2% GDP growth environment. When you take a look at the growth of the population, number of workers plus productivity, you can't, that we don't see a world that goes above 2%, therefore this is gonna be transitory. Does that make sense to you? I mean, if we see inflation, is it a period where you just hold your breath? I think it will be scary when that happens and you could see multiples compress. But at that point, you really look for quality growth, secular growth companies. 
you stick with your defensives to protect you on the downside, but you also then look at, you know, what company that was trading at. For example, I love Facebook and yes. Facebook gets cut by a third because interest rates went up. That should not affect the future cash flows. So look and at those you back companies. up the truck at that point. Well, yeah, then you back up the truck and, and, and if a Microsoft comes down or a Facebook or a Google or some of the high quality recurring cash flow companies, you might even get an opportunity then at, uh, you know, software as a service companies that are trading at nosebleed, but have high cash flows. And I think those would be some of the opportunities that you could look at. So I would do that. But I, I do think we have to be we have to be careful because I think the inflation word of the 70s is very different from today. Because it's a global world. Yes. As we know, capital flows wherever, you know, the the cost is lower. And it it could be from Georgia to North Dakota. You know, capital moves really quickly now, not like we had back there. So this time around, I think inflation, maybe you get it in, in, in labor and you get it in healthcare, which we're seeing. But after that, so much of your costs are just productivity and technology, and that is deflationary by itself. Surat Sethi is managing partner, portfolio manager, analyst at Douglas C. Lane Associates, a CNBC contributor. When you see him on CNBC, folks, take it off a mute. I promise you're getting ready to learn something from Surat because, and I'm speaking, I'm giving, telling you just what I do. I see him, I take it off mute and I learn something from Surat. Uh, one of my great friends, Surat, thanks so much for being Thank with you, us on Michael. the forecast. We Love hope it. you'll come back. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for pleasure. another week. Uh, another week on the forecast. Uh, we keep bringing you great guests like Surat Sethi covering Wall Street, Washington and the world. Until next week from Naples, Florida, I'm Michael Farr. Thank you for joining us again on another edition of The Farcast. And thanks to Michael's guest, Kenny Polgari, Dan Mahaffey, and special guest, Surat Sethi. We love hearing from our listeners every week, and we try to respond to all of your notes and suggestions. You can reach us at hjennings at farmiller.com. Let us know any questions you have and topics you'd like to hear us cover. The Farcast comes to you weekly and is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and all major podcast platforms. We would like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed and provided in this podcast, including by speakers who are not agents of Farm Miller and Washington, are not necessarily those of Farm Miller and Washington or any firm any of our guests may represent. Any mention of a specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell, and please be aware that past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any index, fund, manager, strategy, or security. We strongly recommend you review with a financial professional before you make any investment decision. And if we can be of assistance at Farr Miller in Washington, please reach out to me at hjennings at farmiller.com. We are here to help, and I'll be happy to put any of our listeners in touch with one of our investment professionals for a complimentary review of your portfolio and your investment goals. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy. We look forward to being with you again next week. Go beyond the headlines each week with the Farcast. Wall Street, 
Washington, and the world.